welcome back to Rounding the Earth. And I'm your host, Matthew Crawford. And today we have a new guest, uh, Mark uh, Kulaks. And hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, oh, good. He shook his head. I, I must be basically saying it right. Good, good. Um, uh, Mark, Mark's here. Um, Mark, Mark is uh, he's a good guy to talk to for um, for geopolitical topics and 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 uh, a number of others that that maybe get complicated. And we we currently live in a world in which we don't have uh, talking heads assigned to make sense of, of well anything anymore, especially topics of geopolitical importance. But this is geopolitical importance like that that doesn't even do this topic justice. Uh, I'm gonna let you. <laughs> I'm gonna let you uh, pick up from there, and let's uh, let's talk about a new model for thinking about the craziness. Because clearly, we are in a crazy moment in history. There's something unique about this, right? You know, we don't have to pretend. Uh, we, we, you know, it, when I say it, people know what I mean. Um, but you know, what, what what's going on, or how can we how can we better view this? First, it's great to be here. Uh, congratulations on this program. Uh, I know firsthand how much work it takes to create a program such as this to continue it on uh, and you've had great guests so congratulations and it's awesome to be here he's kulak is good enough there's actually i had one of my sisters uh once told me that there's a facebook chat about uh last name kulak uh, where there is a heated debate about how to pronounce it uh i, I actually took it from my stepfather it's one of those crazy six letter polish names uh, with a Z in it. So yeah. it's like, well, now, and I'm like, geez, now we got a Sprock, we got a Dash Act. We're like, what? what's these six letter crazy names with disease in it? I hope people aren't associating me with this stuff. But <laughs> is that, uh, is Kulak the, is that the same word as the farmers? Like, I have like, no the, idea. The word, like for gulag, right? Mm -hmm. And it was actually, oh, yeah. uh, and it started with a K. Maybe it was like, it was like Kulak or Kulak or something like that. I mean, it's very close to your last yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, if, if there was yeah, a I was peasant or farmer or something like that. I mean, I was born in Nichols uh, with two L's, which is a Scottish Welsh uh, variant. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, so Kulak, Kulaks, Kiewicz, whatever, you know, uh, it's uh, you're in the ballpark. You actually did pretty darn good. Uh, quick background on myself, not uh, just to because it does play into. What yeah, we're going to talk about ahead. today is six, seven years ago, uh, I, I think I would have found a tall bridge to jump off of if I knew I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. It was not the plan. It was not the plan. Uh, I went to University of Connecticut, uh, got a degree in computer engineering uh, in the 90s. I started a master's weekly, albeit. Uh, at MIT in computer sciences, uh, focusing on uh, distributed computing, distributed computing algorithms. I worked for 20 something years in the data storage industry. Uh, companies like uh, EMC Corporation, which had been which has been purchased by Dell, uh, DG, Data General, uh, they had a division called Clarion, uh, Mercury Computer Systems, which does high performance, uh, heterogeneous uh, 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 distributed computing uh, solutions. They do a lot of stuff for CAT scans, military applications, et cetera. Uh, I didn't really know much about the actual applications themselves, albeit I'd never had a security clearance in my life. And uh, Datto Corporation, and I'm probably, oh, NetApp Corp. And through that time, I was a software engineer. 
systems level, meaning, or I should say, working on a lot of operating systems and device drivers, all within the data storage industry. And as I matured, I had the opportunity because of the nature of my products to work directly with the solution engineers and sometimes and customers. And I was kind of a rare bird because I could do the OS work and uh, be presentable. So, and I, I loved, I loved that, uh, that hybrid role, Me meaning I moved out of the engineering work and became a, uh, a product marketing director as well, but uh, most proudly a competitive intelligence analyst. I bring this up because no, uh, it was no part of my career plan, life's plan. I worked in some big companies, really, really big companies, Dell in particular, um, Dell and Dell EMC. And in those environments, I knew that the company, while on the outside may be referred to as just Dell or just EMC, what have you, internally, it is nothing close to being a monolith. There are multiple divisions. There are people making internal alliances. Uh, there are people backstabbing each other. There's vice presidents who want to become an executive vice president, and they know that the only way they can do so is to have a few new products come under their wing. Sometimes they would actually encourage the company to buy other companies just so that there were new products to put under them. All of these dynamics, and sometimes it would just be personal, like people just didn't like the way someone else looked or be philosophical or it's very, very complicated, right? But from the inside, it is anything but a monolith. Oh, and also sometimes just relationships with outside vendors uh, or whether people are contractors or not can also impact someone's uh, popularity or success, elevation, et cetera, visibility within a company. So with that out there, and I never thought that I would apply that to this research that we're doing, but as it come to pass, I, I have. I think we've made the mistake, and I've always made the mistake of viewing the United States as, as a monolith or an agency, as just, you know, this is the CIA, and that's the FBI, and that's France, right? That's Japan. And just very simple. I mean, you need to you need to abstract the world to some to some extent, right? You can't look at the entire planet on a person-by-person -person basis, but you have to at least be aware that there's more to it than just these yeah, can, big monolithic can I, entities. Can I try to put my own description to it? Please. Because uh, I, I like this exercise that you seem to be performing. It's like, okay, I, I could describe the FBI as the U.S.'s FBI. I could describe the, the uh, military as the U.S.'s military or even go by branch, the U.S.'s Marines. Uh, we could describe uh, the education department as the U.S.'s education department. And, and, and if you do that, you might almost imagine like a fractal where, where each one of these things that you're naming is largely like the others in, um, in flavor and direction and that they, that they are all are moving the same direction. But, but it may very well be that, that these are as if you have almost independent nations within the same nation or independent corporations yep. and those corporations, as you pointed out, could have their own politics that themselves look otherworldly. Once you actually start to dig down in them, one corporation can look like uh, a nation or even a, a collection of nations. Or you know, there could be politics. alliances within companies. There can be like a Dell uh, Fujitsu relationship where, where people on that, uh, that, that team 
between those two companies may have uh, may be elevated in political status within the company. So you're, it's not just the internal, but also the relationships between these individuals, these groups, agencies, if you will, and, and outside ones as well. And to some degree, the corporations are acting as a set of incentives and a set of levers. And mm -hmm. so it, it you know, makes sense that players might move around between these machines, you know, uh, that they have access to. And, and uh, yeah, it creates a creates a different way to think about the world. So how, so how does that apply to this, this weird pandemic moment? Um, you know, is, is there a major player? Is, are there multiple major players? Do they have names? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm still working on how to factor it out myself. The, the, there's, there are extensive connections between what happened 20 years ago on September 11, 2001, and uh, the coronavirus pandemic and everything that's gone down. And because of my own life circumstances that led me to taking on this research role and commentary role, if you will, archival role, uh, I've wound up doing a lot of digging on, the, on September 11th, 9-11. And I've actually done a few shows where I've asked my, uh, my audience, you know, what do you think happened? And there's no consensus. It's remarkable. I, I could almost find no two people that thought the same thing. How could something so huge happen without even there being any type of general consensus on what it was? Isn't that, isn't that kind of bizarre, Matt? So... And most of the narratives are, you know, there's the U.S. government, but some people wanted some insurance money. Or, you know, there's the U.S., but then maybe Israel wanted to get involved. Or there's the, the terrorists. There's all very simple stories. And it hasn't gotten anywhere. So whatever's being applied to it hasn't worked for a country of 340 million people for 20-something years. So why keep trying the same thing? And re- assessing September 11, 2001, because of uh, what was happening before it, which was in particular, I call it the summer of bioterrorism, uh, 2001, where there were nonstop government uh, hearings starting around April, going all the way actually to like days, just days before September 11th about anthrax attacks and under which conditions do we move the government under the control, uh, the Pentagon in particular, under the control of FEMA, nonstop. And then September 11th happened and neither of those two things happened. And I knew, and I think you and most of the audience would agree, the US was in a severe state of shock. You could tell that whatever happened on September 11th, there was no four days of script afterwards, as opposed to patient zero and America's patient zero, Snohomish County man, of coronavirus, where every four hours there was the next appropriate press release of we found the person, the person's in the hospital, the person's being seen, we analyzed the tissue, uh, you know, they definitely have COVID, it's getting worse, we approved the medicine. I mean, everything was so perfectly aligned. That didn't happen on September 11th. It started to suggest that uh, something had happened that was uh, uh, unexpected. And, but there were so many things which worked for to make that event possible. 
shutting down uh, airspace, uh, a variety of uh, military operations that day. And in particular, it really hit me looking at a press conference that evening uh, on September 11, 2001, where Rumsfeld was giving a, a present, was talking to the press about the day. And he was just shaking in his boots. You could that the paper was just, you know, shaking back and forth. You could tell he was really disturbed. And then after he spoke, uh, it was uh, Senator Warner of Virginia, and then there was a US military general who were just cool as you can you can be, standing upright, not shaking. And they and uh, I forget the general's name. He just says, Don't worry, America, we got your back. Like that was just and you start looking back, reflecting back on it. And it and it was really this discussion in early 2001 about under what conditions can FEMA get control of the military? It was a nonstop talking, a to, a nonstop topic of discussion. Well, why was that so much of a concern for people, uh, or at least within the government? And then, and then, harken back on my own experiences within big companies, you're like, you know, since that didn't happen and you could see the difference in responses, I think that there was an attempted coup of sorts planned for uh, maybe a, a terrorist event, probably involving a biological agent, uh, under which conditions they were talking about, FEMA would take control of the Department of Defense. And that didn't happen because there was no major anthrax attack. And, and now you, you take a step back and, you, and, and instead of just viewing it as the government and uh, well, some bad actors or some people that want some money or whatever, or this is Israel or uh, Russia interference, wh whatever that someone may be suggesting, you can just see that the real warfare most likely was within the United States government. And why wouldn't it be? There are trillions of dollars at stake. There's the large, there's the world's, basically the world's whole Navy of, of relevance is the U.S. Navy. Why would there be influential people within the United States government being just saying, okay, you know what? They control that and I'm fine with it. No, this stuff is worth more money and would lead to more power and security than anyone can comprehend. So of course, there's going to be a battle over it. And now you start to refactor other events in particular, really over the last 20 years. And you can see a, a, a feud of sorts um, between uh, like a, a, a traditional or the old military leadership and what I would just call a new military leadership. And what happened weeks after September 11, 2001 was we created a second military. We created Department of Homeland Security, which immediately took control of our food supply security, Department of Agriculture culture, took, uh, took control of airline security, took control of border security. I mean, everything and everything that wasn't the military, they were gobbling it up and growing out to be uh, a many, many billion dollar a year uh, department. Uh, note that I have a lot of family members who were both military and were uh, law enforcement professionals. So uh, I don't, I, I do not have a problem with uh, career law enforcement uh, uh, careers. Uh, but you could see it being a, a competitive division. And then there are new departments have been created, which have created even more confusion 
which has tied these things together in bizarre ways, which are, in particular, I talk a lot about an agency called the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, the DTRA, which while it is in the Pentagon, it is a Department of Defense funded agency. It was created specifically to be in a, a point where uh, major US agencies can share uh, intellectual property, um, vaccine research, uh, weapons of mass destruction, information, et cetera. And it is, uh, it crazy enough, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency had a conference on September 5th, 2001, talking about the possibility of an anthrax attack. Uh, I think it was in New Jersey or Delaware, which I actually did a show on. So st stepping back and instead of looking at it as uh, Islam versus Christianity or Israel versus this or England versus America. I, I don't know, whatever it is. I see these divisions within the U.S. And, uh, uh, and even now we can see, uh, and I don't want to, we don't need to U-turn or, or, or change subjects too quickly to this, but you can see a lot of highlighting of how uh, the, it was the United States Department of Defense and DARPA that bears so much responsibility for coronavirus. And surely they've been involved and they had a role and they had contracts. But now you see a lot of individuals who have DITRA relationships, DTRA, saying it's DARPA's fault. It, it exactly go, uh, you know, goes along with a, this rough hypothesis that I've been constructing. Um, so there's, there's, how's that for getting things started, kicked off? Uh, yeah, I, I'm seeing a model, and and one of the things that you know we we were discussing this sort of like uh, you know, internal states within states. Um, but one of the things that I think that that's important that you highlighted is you also simply have these power levers, mm -hmm. right? And you can have a group assigned to one of these levers, and then it, it makes the internal politics more clear. You know, once there is you know a, a power lever lever over taking control of the borders. Well, then you have different agencies that could do that. And then you have a competition between agencies. So you have you have both uh, tensions between machines and then you have like who are the actual people in each place. Right. Because mm -hmm. now that, that's a different question. Right. Um, you know, you could have a political unit that spans, you know, multiple of these different departments and uh, areas with control of power levers. You know, it may be that, um, let, let's say that, let's imagine a, um, I, I guess we'll call it a party. I have what, an example, what, by the way. What what's, what's a good name for a fictional political party? Uh, well, the Emu Party? Uh, sure. Okay, okay. The Emu Party. Let's say the Emu Party. Or the Republicrats. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go with something meaningless because I don't want to imply, I, I don't want to get into whether or not this describes something that exists, right? But you could have, uh, you know, the, the EMU um, uh, political faction could have 30% of the people in the DOD. They could have, you know, 43% of leadership in the DOD. They could have, um, you know, 20% of the people in the Department of Homeland Security. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they could have people all over this thing. And it's it's no longer a fractal because each part no longer looks like each other part, right? That, that fractal that we imagined of each branch of the U.S. government sort of essentially looking the same and, and sort of, you know, flowing in the same way, it no longer does. 
because each one of these nations within the nation becomes inhabited by uh, by a different population uh, that maybe has different um, principles or even religion or you know it's it's makeup its character mm-hmm. and, and and I feel like it, well first of all it's very very complicated yeah very complicated very difficult but but I feel like okay this is getting closer to a model of what might actually be going on. I find it to create a whole lot more empathy for what might be going on. And it actually lowers my blood pressure of stress because I'm like, oh, they got their problems, too. You spend too much time on Twitter. You think it's just the government versus the people and the people are intended to be killed. And and you're going to die young from the stress from these 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 simple weaponized, I think, narratives when. But when you see the confusion and you could see how good people get into these agencies and get caught up in this mess and then they have bills to pay, right? They're not all necessarily compromised. It's, you're like, okay, I get it now. And you realize that the world's not going to end tomorrow. You know, actually the the confusion and the complexity of it is, 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 too, is why things, we're still in this game. Um, it's to our benefit, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, you know, what you just said about, um, you know, people's, interest as i write the chaos agents articles and, mm-hmm. and this is it, it's an interesting series there are people that that um that appreciate it for different reasons and then there are people whom it irritates for different reasons uh i think people feel like some of their heroes are stepped on um some of that is definitely intentional uh at the same Why? time because um, yeah because you you, you want to get a little create some excitement or because they, they needed it. They really no, were uh, heroes. It, it, yeah. It, at any point in time, if, if things seem too much like, like shiny objects, huh. uh, you know, you're going to wind up steering people into an almost religious state or direction. And I would, and I was beginning to see that specifically with, with certain statements. Like uh, there, there are people like, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention this uh, as an example. I think that there's there's no statistical evidence of the hot lots theory of vaccines. It may be that that some of them are more harmful than others, but the basic thing is that like the the, the early earliest ones that were given to the oldest people had more adverse events. And you know, I've talked to numerous statisticians, uh, Jessica Rose, and other people, and and you know, whenever we whenever we sit down and model it out, like we we come to something that looks a whole lot like what happened. Right. And you so, probably wanted as unbiased, as analytical as you are, which is why I appreciate your work. I'm sure you approached that thinking that that was probably true. So you the, actually had to fight it a little I, bit. Am I, I, am I, I worry that exactly. I worry that the vaccines are dangerous and discourage. You know, I, and some people don't even discourage people from taking them. They're just like, if you want, you know, it's, it should be a free choice, which I do believe it should be a free choice. But mm-hmm. I do actively want to discourage people from taking them because I believe that it's a dangerous experiment. Um, but so yeah, the hot lots theory would be something that would fit my biases. Um, but what I, I find that that people take up some of these without having, you know, without knowing whether or not there's really good backing behind it. And I think that that because our, our community seems like it has like six to eight, 800 pound gorillas, like, you know, big figureheads uh-huh. that Yes. Uh, if if you have just two of them pushing an idea, uh, the rest say nothing. They don't have to say anything. They say nothing at all. Then all you have is overwhelming support, right? That's mm-hmm. all you actually have is overwhelming support for that idea. And so I I see I see this happening because it feels like shiny objects, like new gods, 
you know, and, and, you know, we're trying to, and I, I felt like what we were trying to get away from what caused these problems was the gods, you know, was, was, was people looking up and seeing this structure, this hierarchy of government that we're beginning to discuss and, um, and, you know, people pulling the levers appearing to be godlike and people just going, okay, 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 I'll go along, you know? Um, so I, I feel like it has to be shaken up. And, uh, and even if I offend some people, or, I mean, in some cases I do think, I, I do think there are a couple of people who just need to be taken down or taken out because I, I worry that they are um, a lever for promoting violence, whether that's intentional or whether they've allowed themselves to become it. Um, I've seen, I've come, that has come to my attention recently. Uh, I won't say anything in particular, but. But, but like, I, I think, I think that we can and should, that we, not, not only we should, but that we must critique Robert Malone, for instance, right? Because if anyone Who's that? steps forward, <laughs> he's this guy, uh, uh, if anybody steps forward and says, and so in so many words, I'm an expert, which can be a helpful thing, or it can be a Pied Piper thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or it can be something in between, right? But, let, but let's, uh, let's evaluate what are the circumstances behind this, which one of these unnamed factions, these sort of, uh, you know, within group, I don't know, you know, kind of like the, the seven warring states in China, uh, you know, we, we don't even have names for these groups. We, you know, the, the Emu Party, you know, we, which one of these is he from? Um, <laughs> sorry, Jill's husband. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the, well, for there, and I think you're talking about expert with respect to uh, transfection technology or synthetic exosomes, mRNA. And which he has worked on, and he, and he talks politics too, which is important, and and anyone should yeah. have the right to, sure. But we we should vet him as a community, and I'm not saying that we should all have the same answer, but we should, but we shouldn't just accept an image and and move right. And so you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm probably taking I'm definitely taking some jabs from different places for doing this, but um, like you know, I, I'm gonna talk about what these backgrounds are. Right. Well, good uh, for you. Just say just say what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, look, his resume is incredibly impressive. There's no reason for anyone with that many patents or papers to feel that they need to uh, uh, brag to further prove that they've been involved in a lot of, uh, you know, fantastically visible uh, and acknowledged works uh, by all. Uh, accounts of success as a scientist or an engineer, I look at his resume and however he got it, it's it's a winner. Uh, I don't know why he would need to uh, exaggerate. And and when he when he says he as an inventor, it's been said. I don't know if he's ever actually said. Maybe he has actually said it quite like that. Um, it's 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 indisputable that he was involved in some of the early work. But why just why have to say he's the inventor? It is. An incredible thing to say, I was part of a team. I work with these people over here or over there. And you know what? That's great. I don't understand the whole needing to hoard all the credit for something. Uh, that said, uh, the word wasn't even on his resume before 2021. Um, but uh, the uh, and when it comes to the expert, as you probably have already dug in, uh, Jill Malone was still saying that the mRNA shots were saving a lot of lives as of June 2021. So I don't know what's well, changed. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that um, that 
if, if I recall the way it happened, uh, Robert Malone and I spoke to the Honolulu, um, we were two of the speakers to the Honolulu City Council mm-hmm. in December of 2021. And he said these vaccines are working as intended. Uh, so that was end of 2021, which um, which I, I criticized. And, and, and maybe, you know, like, it, it, it is actually a tough conversation to have as to whether or not we do or don't have data that suggests that. Right. So, you know, you know, that, that's a, that's a conversation. Um, um, but it, I don't know, like I, I, I felt like I personally thought he shouldn't have said that or that he shouldn't think, that. but of course, like I'm saying, what well, a person shouldn't think this, maybe he really thought, maybe he and Jill thought that sure these MRNA vaccines are working but that it's too risky to give to kids because of the side effects. Right. I guess, I guess that's how I view their interpretation at that time. Um, but I don't I, believe I, Malone was ever in uh, his intention. I think he's, he is being straight when he says he was, uh, the plan was retirement and uh, it wasn't his plan to have the role that he has now or the visibility that he has now. Um, uh, I think it's really more about remdesivir and less about, the uh, and and other therapies which were and were not uh, allowed or emergency use authorized than than the vaccines that led to his current visibility. Um, the uh, 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 and, and often overlooked uh, uh, early death was uh, John Charles Martin in April, late March of 2021. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He was the 20 year CEO of Gilead and. Um, a so big Charles part, Martin, John, John C. Martin, John Charles John Martin, Martin. Uh, who died at age 62, tripping and dying on a sidewalk in Palo Alto, California. Uh, while he retired in 2016, uh, there was a podcast in 2020 where he seemed to be actually a bit surprised that Gilead was, or, or remdesivir in particular, was having any beneficial uh, effects for treatment of people who were symptomatically diagnosed with coronavirus. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the, there was a history of, well, I mean, there wasn't really a history of the drug being useful for much of anything, right? It wasn't, they, they, and there was, but there was a big push, a, a really odd push to keep trying something over and over again. It does, uh, this is probably detours, uh, gets a little bit off tar- where, we're, where we started, but it's worth mentioning while we're here. Here's a, here's a case where I, I had something biased, right? I was very biased because I had a lot of data or anecdotal data suggest it wasn't helping at all. It was causing a lot of harm. But I kept seeing reports that early administration, it would be helpful. And sure enough, if you if you can let go of the, uh, of what, what if I can let go of what I want to be true, very, very, very early use, almost prophylactic use, administration of remdesivir, to prevent a viral infection does have helpful effects. It, it, Almost you, as if it was something a warfighter would use the day that they are distributing a biological agent. That is a useful scenario for them because you can't take it long-term and it's uh, it, uh, it's an injection, meaning uh, where do you, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't exactly do it at home that easily. I'm sorry to have uh, uh, cut you off, but. No, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. Um, and and I, I, I'll I'll be honest. Uh, uh, until just the other day, I I did not know that um, that the Malone story uh, intersected the story of Remdesivir oh, at all. 
Actually, I, I did not know that. Um, but somebody, somebody uh, says, uh, Malone Steiner on Twitter, that the reason he entered the COVID arena was because of his, his wife's book on surviving COVID was pulled from Amazon February 2020. Um, and and I've heard I've heard some version of this story. I don't know what happened. I wish I could get it. I, I wish I had a copy of the book to read it um, myself. But not that I have a lot of extra reading time these days. Uh, just give me a second. I'm turning my back because I'm trying to find something. Sure, sure. Um, well, in the meantime, um, you know, we'll, we'll, so Remdesivir um, is attached to Robert Malone because of some software program, and I don't, I don't know if I fully understand Malone's role in this because he's not a programmer. He's not like a, an AI guy. And furthermore, I think that that software like this to me sounds very suspicious. Um, you know, having having done uh, you know, what, what people very often call AI programming. Uh, it was not a big part of my job, but I did it toward the end of my time on wall street, practical guide for preparing and protecting yourself from the coronavirus outbreak. Um, you know, something it's the same like, title, it's the same number of pages, but it's written by Robert mask. Wait, 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 what? It's the same title as, as John and J uh, Robert and Jill Malone's book, almost the same subtitle. Same number of pages, but is written by Robert Mask, who has only written one other truck and the other truck and one other book, and the other book is about how to run an effective food truck business. So there's, there's some crazy, there are some crazy PDFs, and there's, there's actually two or three others I found where I have different names on them that all kind of came out in early 2020. Uh, I, I, I can't figure out. Is that the Malone's book? Well, we don't have the actual text of the Malone's book because it was pulled. I okay, can't find okay. it. But here's a here's Robert Mask. <laughs> it's just so maybe it, it, might, it might be it might be uh, her book. It might not be. Is, is I, it like? It's so silly. It's so high level. <laughs> um, I don't know what the, the the intent of these things were. Um, and well, Malone, Malone was an early, early patient of coronavirus as well. He caught it in what uh, I have it uh, February, late February of 2020, which was mean that there's a possibility he could have been patient zero at the Boston Biogen conference event, uh, which is where he suggested he caught it. Um, but again, uh, we can yeah, talk man. about Malone for a whole show, but. The, but yeah, and, the, and, uh, the the software component, there was a uh, a product created at uh, at Ditra at DTRA. Uh, one second here, while I pull it up because I want to make sure I get the uh, acronym on this thing uh, proper correct. It was called Domain D O M A N E. Okay, and. D-O-M-A-N-E, there we go, which stands for Discovery of Medical Countermeasures Against Novel Entities. Coronavirus, of course, is novel. Now, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency announced this program in uh, November of 2019. Perhaps it existed internally earlier than that, but I have seen no white papers and no evidence that it existed until around December of 2019. And what this program or does is it will look at a, a library of known therapeutics which have been used 
on label, off label, tens of thousands, I, I assume. And it might actually uh, use the uh, same library that the national, uh, excuse me, the uh, Health and Human Services Department uses. I, I'm not sh sure if it's a different library or not. And if a new novel pathogen is discovered, you can provide to this thing uh, a file that uh, describes the molecular structure of it. It will go through the database and it will find, or the library, and it'll find things which may potentially work. That sounds pretty cool. I got no problem with that, right? It, it shouldn't be like a, 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 a Bible of you shall only do this and nothing else. But I think that something like that's cool. But if it was announced in 2019 and put to use in the first week of January 2020, how do you know it worked? First of all, being a, a systems engineer, I'm very skeptical of getting anything to work that fast, aside from maybe a, a, a proof of concept, uh, you know, prototyped. Uh, uh, to get funding to work on something for a few more months. But even if it spat, spits out a few answers, how do you know they're the right ones? I mean, it could say, you know, hey, you should inject rat poison. Yeah, what data set are you training it on? And how, do you uh, know? And how are you making the leap to the real world? Yes. And I, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to interrupt you and throw this in. Um, Please. There, there are databases of thousands, tens of thousands of things like toxins which, which uh, could have a beneficial medical effect under the right circumstance, right? Like uh, kind of like homeopathy. Like if you pluck the right cord, you, you, you know, uh, you, your body elicits an immune response to, to the right cord, right? Um, and so uh, a, lot of, a lot of pharmacology, a lot of uh, pharmaceutical research is uh, going through these different things that are toxins and venoms and, and other agents. And, uh, and it, you know, those databases, those tens of thousands of possible things you could pull off the shelf and test, that is already, that's such a level of complexity. There is not a supercomputer that deals with that kind of level of complexity. Well, it doesn't matter what software you have, you, you know, you can, you can leave, if, if you have not, if you don't have real world tests over and over again to train that data set on, it's going to be meaningless. We do not have that much information on how the body works. We only discovered how aspirin works 10 years ago, less than Good point. literally, right? We, we it, it, It's make-believe as far as I'm concerned. But it can be useful if there was some plan to say, you know what, there may be, we expect there could be a novel coronavirus arriving and we want to make sure that we steer people towards these four to six things. Now, the answer is that the domain system, I want to say it's a computer, it's a platform, right? Uh, spat out when provided the uh, description of the molecular structure of SARS-CoV-2 were actually really similar to the answers to the things that they were going to pursue as potential uh uh, therapeutics, which could be repurposed for Zika virus four years ago, uh, which also had um, an ivermectin. It also had one of these, what do they call them? The quanines, quarnines, like a hydroxychloroquine. Um, I know there's a family of them. Uh, and I think there was oh, also right, looking at remdesivir as a potential, uh, as something that was potentially useful against Zika virus. Vincent uh, Renkinello actually is in one of his blog posts. He says, you bet your butt we're looking at remdesivir for Zika. So that's an exact quote from him. So, and here we are four years later, new novel pathogen, same set of things, which gets sped out. And sure enough, one of the things it suggests is remdesivir. 
again. Um, so how now maybe if the virus exists, maybe, right? Remdesivir just shuts it down, stops replication, early use, late use, whatever. And if that's the case, by all means, let's go for it. I, I, I don't, not disproving that, but it is suspicious that the same thing that this, that Ditra in particular, along with uh, some people at USAMA were looking at, remdesivir over and over and over again, now a pathogen, and it spits it out as, a, as one of the first three or four answers. And then you, comp you compound this uh, with the last research paper that came out by Sina Bavari, who was the scientific director at USAMRID, in late 2018, early 2019, which was a, a paper titled Developing Therapeutics Against New Novel Coronaviruses, which he talked about the potential of a new coronavirus in the future coming out of a wet market somewhere in China. And the paper said, well, it's most likely going to be helped with Gilead's GS5734, which is remdesivir. <laughs> so, uh, so, 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 and, and, uh, and who knows where this comes from, but, but there may be somebody in the system, you know, just kind of inserting, you know, a, a little place card that says remdesivir into systems here and there, maybe making it appear as if some complex computer going do, 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 boop, remdesivir, but, but may, you know, it, it, it does feel like systems are complex enough and weird enough that you can fool a lot of people that way, even smart people. Right. Um, you know, it, I could, I could totally get away with this. I could create some artificial intelligence software or whatever, and, and just like decide that it's going to, you know, randomly spit out, you know, apple, banana, remdesivir what should yeah. i take today what what should i have for lunch remdesivir you know i i could create that and yeah. i could make it look legit and, yeah. and and i could i could make it such that it would take you it would take you some good time to chew on it and find the find where in the code i, I might even put that code in 14 different places so that it brings letters from different places and spells something out you got that, it that's doable it, it's probably much much simpler though in an organization where you probably only have two or three sets of eyeballs that ever get to look. This could be 10 lines of Perl script, you know, like, uh, you know, here's the file, ignore that print remdesivir. <laughs> you know, could be literally that simple. Like, wow, this thing can run on a, on an 8088. <laughs> so now here, here's a possibility. Could somebody have used Robert Malone? Could, could somebody have used him his expertise, his history, his image mm -hmm. slipped him, slipped him a, a wrong answer. Yep. And then he promotes that answer, like almost like a scientific model, yep. you know, like, totally possible. like a hand model shows you dish, dish, you know, dish detergent, the Robert, you know, the, the scientist model shows you, you know, the boop, 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 whatever got fed out of the computer. And maybe he doesn't know enough about, I mean, in fact, I would say having talked with him, just a little bit, I'm going to guess he does not know enough about artificial intelligence, about, um, you know, the, the kinds of algorithms, the way they work, where, where they are today, which is not that different from where they were 20 years ago, but uh, where, where they are today. Um, he, he may have no idea. I, and and, and he, he simply made the model in that situation. And it may be inappropriate for him to be the model, but he may not know that either. 
Well, he knows the people who provided him that answer. Uh, and That's there is a, a blog post that uh, came out of the DOD military uh, uh, in sometime in 2021 about the uh, about this program having been used at the Defense Threat Reduction Agency and having uh, one of the uh, people overseeing it uh, was a David Hone, H-O-N-E, uh, and in an interview that Robert Malone had with Andrew Huff uh, earlier this year, uh, Malone said that he's been a friend of David Hone since grad school. I mean, they, they, they slept on each other's couches. So, uh, so here we are 25, 30 years later, and we have uh, one of the lead vaccinologists within DITRA, David Hone, an Australian, uh, running these programs and Robert Malone using these outputs. How, how uh, do you spell that name, David? H-O-N-E. It, it's actually in the uh, real Anthony Fauci book, although somehow or another it got misspelled to be Davis Hone. Okay, interesting. Um, I don't know. these things happen, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, going back a few steps here, earlier you mentioned uh, how uh, even within organizations or even within uh, chains of command, there can be differences of opinion. A, a brilliant one to notice, okay, is uh, so within the United States uh, government executive branch, you have the Department of Health and Human Services or HHS, which is effectively on the level of the Department of Defense, I believe. You know. And then under there, you have within the HHS, the National Institute of uh, Health and Human Services, you have uh, National Institutes of Health, or the NIH. Um, I think the FD, FDA and CDC, I believe. Uh, and you also have this thing called ASPR, A-S-P-R, which is, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know what it freaking stands for anymore. But it has something more to do with uh, dealing with uh, countermeasures for bioterrorism and other similar events. And the director of ASPR under President Trump was Robert Cadillac, uh, who has a very negative reputation, a perception at the very least. Now, Cadillac is an old, is a lifelong military guy who was a uh, field physician before moving into the uh, political structure. Reporting to him at the head of BARDA uh, was Rick Bright. Now, Rick Bright is not a DOD guy, anything but. Rick Bright is uh, aligned with different interests within the U.S. government. Uh, and this was a well-known, very uh, stressful relationship between these two. So uh, I don't even know really know how to categorize HHS overall, but uh, but. These are two slightly different, somewhat competing ideologies, perhaps, between Cadillac and Bright. And you can see at the same time when there are uh, discriminating things, and sometimes they're quite warranted about an agency like DARPA, it's usually fouled along with discriminating things about Robert Cadillac uh, and not really getting into Rick Bright. And the vice versa will be true. Uh, if, if Rick Bright is suggesting, you know, the the Milken uh, Institute uh, video from October or November 2019, where Rick Bright talks about we need an entity of excitement. They get to the new era of medicines. It's often overlooked that, uh, well, Robert Cadillac was his boss um, at that time. So uh, depending upon where people may be coming from in their dialogue, they may mention one and, and not the other.
Noteworthy, though, is that Rick Bright, uh, the person who was in his position uh, before him, um, boy, the freaking name escapes me right now, uh, went on to become the first uh, uh, president or CEO of uh, CEPI, Coalition of Epidemic Preparedness. So the, the CEPI director wasn't, president, was an interim director uh, of, uh, of BARDA. Uh, and when that person moved on, uh, Rick Bright actually backfilled that role. So there is this weird uh, CEPI uh, connection with uh, with BARDA. And BARDA is the, what, the Biological Advanced Research Development Agency. I believe I got that right. Um, and, uh, and yet another one of those agencies that was developed in the early 2000s, but after September 11th. I think it was around 2004, 2005 that BARDA uh, became real. It's uh, like a bio-DARPA. It, it, by, it, it seems like every single one of these agencies that can have a bioanalog, yep. a bioanalog has been created for them at this point. And why? Just like corporate America, every company or every division, every product line within the company wants their own quality assurance team. They want their own release team and they feel less powerful if they have to rely upon uh, the uh, the capabilities of a, of a subgroup of another organization. It makes them less powerful. So everyone wants a vaccine group. Everyone wants a, a, a how to say, an antiviral group. Everyone wants a, you know, so on and so forth. All, this is tremendous redundancy and waste. Uh, or maybe it's the one thing that is the reason why we can still have some level of relative freedom in within the United States because they're so busy, you know, taking swings at each other that sometimes we can just right. go around. And, 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 you know, you talked about relative freedom, you know, and, and, uh, and people, you know, people in the comments are talking about nefarious actors and this, that, or the other. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring bring in the conspiracy theory element. We need a, a different conspiracy word. Theory. This, though. I, we, I'm not into conspiracy. We, we need a different word for this, right? We're talking about, you know, we're, we're looking at all these levers in this machine and we're seeing people be able to walk in and out of these zones around government and have control over these different levers. Um, the idea that you could not, that, that, that you would somehow, uh, have the machine operate in a way that would prevent bad actors from walking in these doors where they have control over these levers. Um, it, it's, it's just nonsense, right? And so it, it's, not, it's not conspiracy theory anymore so much as, as it is design theory, right? It is design theory of government that is large enough and complex enough to have warring states within it. Right. Yep. And this is part of the reason why, like, you know, with a discussion of anyone like Robert Malone, every every like people have constantly asked me, are, are you like with or against Robert Malone? I'm, I'm just like, like, th that's not the right question. <laughs> you know, like uh, he's a person and I'm a person. And I understand that he's been in this, this complex set of levers. Uh, do I think he's probably made mistakes in there? Uh, I, I bet good people have probably made mistakes. Mm -hmm. I bet bad people have probably done good things in those rooms. No, it, it's a complicated atmosphere. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in, in deciding that like the man is like, uh, you know, somehow secret evil or, or somehow this out of the other, he probably has uh, a faction of people of recognized shared interests to some degree. And that probably happens over professional relationships and who knows what the overall ideology of that group of people is. On the other hand, what we can definitely talk about is design theory of mm -hmm. internal nation states. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I feel like that's a really productive conversation that you've walked us up to. But you know what? Um, and I, I'm, I'm, if, if you want, we can keep going down this path. I'm sure. going to give you the opportunity to move to something else that you seem to be uh, uh, knowledgeable about. I, I would. Just, well, just one more thing I wanted to add. To, okay. I do want to continue on where I think okay. where you're suggesting. But it's also important to note that uh, there are many people that may look like they have a, a, a coming at it with bad intent that may view things differently. Um, it's no secret that in spite of the incredible valor and bravery and sacrifice that many soldiers have made, that there has been from time to time some corruption within the Pentagon. All right. Uh, it is what it is. So the movie that people, I think, do not understand how important the movie is was the 1982 movie War Games. That movie was not really about a computer, okay? That movie was actually written by a people with a lot of connections to Stanford and genetics. And that movie was suggesting that warfare as we know it was over. And that's really the, what the point of the movie was, you know? It's just a push of the button. We can just kill everyone with nukes. Uh, or uh, why are we investing in this anymore? That was kind of... The, the conclusion, and you have this kind of buffoon people, uh, you know, buffoons running this military uh, uh, agency. So with all of that money, why are we spending it on missiles and planes and tanks and carriers and, and you endless wars when maybe, maybe there's some scientists that can take things in a different direction if they have that much money. So starting in the 80s, that uh, the military has been started to be torn down a bit under Reagan. They were losing money. They lost more money under Bush and Clinton. It was it, uh, there was a company called there was the largest FBI raid was actually related to GTE Corporation, which was a telephone company, which was working uh, so with uh, military contractors in Washington, D.C., helping exfiltrate technology, computer technology. Uh, and, and other patents uh, it, it, because they couldn't figure out any other ways to make money. Uh, so you have another group coming along that wants to advance science. They want to advance the, uh, the internet, genetic research, and so on and so forth. And they see the military as taking things in the wrong direction. So a, a newer wave uh, perhaps comes up thinking that, you know what, we're going to do this better. This is, some, this is a mission that would mean something to me, right? So I'm not justifying it all, but I'm trying to remind people you need to have that empathy that there are that these groups as they war, it's not just about someone wants more money or more power. Oftentimes, there needs to be something deeper that even if it's a lie, they need to tell themselves to, to say that the, so that they can feel as though they're doing the right thing. And so they can be convincing on the stage that they are in the right place. Okay, I, I want to jump in here because this is an awesome, an awesome place to take the conversation and an element of all of this. Going back to 1982, War Games, um, part of what this movie was written about, too, is the law that came after. And I can't remember the name of this law off the top of my head. Maybe you know what it is. It's this law that has been used to justify putting hackers in jail for like 10 years for really, really minor offenses. I didn't know that. Right. Is it, uh, um, tell me yeah. about it. What, what more can um, you say about this? Uh, okay. Um, I, I don't know any of these cases so well. There was a there was a guy. Actually, I'm going to look up a name real quick. There was a guy who was who hacked. He was a hacktivist uh, in Boston. 
he was somebody who like grew up with uh, Zuckerberg. Apparently, like they went to high school, maybe yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, he he did a hacktivism thing where he shut down uh, a a. Um, I, I've talked to his wife, but I, I I can't recall their names off the top of my head. They shut down their um, uh, their fundraiser because he felt they were like medically kidnapping. In particular, there was one one I think little girl that he felt they had medically kidnapped. And wow. it was one of the maybe it was Boston Children's Hospital. And um, you know, using this law, they put him in jail for some obscene amount of time, like eleven years, for shutting down this hospital fundraiser with a little hack or something like that. Right? Um, it, wow. What 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 I think this this uh, this law did, and and maybe War Games was sort of propaganda to push this law out was to create insider-outsider boundaries, where meanwhile, a lot of the insiders were exfiltrating this technology, as you say, and I think that they were doing it through China. And th this, is, this is actually my theory on how China's been involved in all this uh, hacking, because it seems like when people talk about this, like the Chinese are stealing our tech, blah, 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 you go back to 1980, the Chinese have almost no organized you know, element, uh, like spy craft ability to, to get around like our very sophisticated countermeasures or the ability to pay our people better or something like that. Like the hmm. risks of doing this, it just seems like total nonsense that it would happen to the degree that it did. Unless what you've done is you have put together pipelines on both sides, right? U.S. to China over the corporate structure and then you have like this this notion that it's the Chinese government paying people, which they could always get away with because you're not going to go punish the Chinese government. Meantime, you're exfiltrating this technology into the corporations who then get to develop with it freely. That's what I think is actually going on there. And I, and I think that that is part of the world war. It, it would be. Uh, the military had tons of, uh, of technology. They were way ahead of everyone else on... Uh on semiconductor uh, research, manufacturing, et cetera. How do you get that stuff out? Well, you need to create a, a, a plethora of other companies. Um, oh my good, Amazon is, Amazon's a major one. Uh, what, what, what is Amazon effectively? It's effectively, it's a procurement and uh, inventory distribution algorithm. That's really what Amazon is at its heart. You don't really make anything, uh, but it's so, uh, who is the CEO of Amazon? Jeffrey Bezos. All right. Who's Jeffrey Bezos's grandfather? Lawrence Preston Geis, or Geese, as some people would say. Uh, Lawrence Preston Geis was the fourth employee at DARPA who set up DARPA's in 1958, their procurement division, because DARPA was only set up to help facilitate the relationship between contractors for the space program. Uh, uh, Geis had, uh, he went on to become the, uh, uh, the lead, uh, for, for DARPA, uh, for the development of the, uh, of the missile, the nuclear missile, the nuclear submarine missile program. I forget the name of it, uh, which is a way more complicated than you think, you know, launching a new, a missile from under the ocean. It's not exactly the same as launching it on the surface. So, uh, so of course, if you have a scalable algorithm for procurement and inventory management that if it was its own company would be worth trillions of dollars. What are you going to do? Just let it sit and rot and the DOD, not to mention, even if the United States government did say, 
hey, let's repurpose that algorithm for something akin to an Amazon within our country. No other country is going to want to use it because they're going to see it as a Department of Defense uh, entity. But now we have this superstar independent guy who started off selling used books. <laughs> Somehow he got access to mainframes to sell used books. You know, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, and uh, look, Amazon exists one way or the other. The algorithms exist. Somebody wrote them. They're very powerful and cool. I'm not, uh, uh, I have no problem with that. Uh, but uh, I don't necessarily think the right people get credit uh, for the uh, for the design of these things. And it goes, it's more stories about how all of this research, it needs to find a way to get out, to be monetized, to uh, become part of the public domain, if you will, like Google algorithms, Google search. Right. It, it is weird to think that, um, you know, it could be that the laws that would help yeah, you know, somebody writes a set of software and it's just perfect for e-commerce, mm -hmm. you know, but it might take 15 years to get that software outside of the DOD where it might have been created for emergency supply lines. But it just yeah. happens to be perfect for e-commerce. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know if that's what happened in the case of, of, of Amazon, but it, it, it certainly is an interesting story that's very plausible. I will mention this, though. Um, I actually worked at the same hedge fund that Bezos worked for. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was one of the top uh, artificial intelligence, you know, you know, gatherings, uh, you know, the late 90s uh, is when I was there. I was there after he had left. Okay. Um, and but you had people doing, you know, genetic algorithms in order to trade, you know, stocks all over the world. Right. Like or, already in the 90s. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it may be that he had a software deal, deal from there or that. Um, that something that was used there was what he picked up on and said, uh, you know, I, I, I actually don't know. I'm just, I'm throwing that out because uh, he, he may have pulled together uh, ideas and software from a number of different places, but it was interesting to hear other people talk about him uh, at a firm that where I arrived after he's gone. Right. So I, I never met him there, but I hear people talk about him. Look, uh, uh, being successful, being in it, people think innovative means in, in inventing, and it really isn't. Innovative means repurposing and using existing things in new ways. Building so most innovations are built upon other innovations, you know, just being a little bit clever and repurposing stuff. So, uh, you know, See, seeing where they can fit in into a model yeah. and putting it together. Right. Yeah. And uh, the interesting thing was um, you could almost see people's economic philosophies. They either like people who, who just don't really understand positive sum economics almost always hated Bezos. Hmm. And that, that was my observation as a, you know, as a 20 year old, you know, uh, first year Wall Street guy. But uh, it, it was just one of the things I noticed very specifically because you could not go anywhere and not have the Bezos conversation pop up eventually, right? So anyway, uh, we'll anyway. get back to that. That's, <laughs> I think it sounds like there's a lot there. Okay, so uh, about 10 minutes ago, uh, you, you suggested we go into another area where you said, although hard to believe that's true, uh, that I had some uh, subject matter expertise on or things that I dug into. Well, I, you, know, I, I, you and I um, were sending a few messages back and forth about Ukraine. And you, you like things that that I had thought and you know connected with things that you said in a way that instantly changed my model. Me too. Okay. 
Okay, let's go down that that road because I feel I felt like that was very valuable. I feel like it can, it's it's probably going to be more valuable. Like like the thoughts that we have after this conversation are going to be more than the thoughts we've had. But um, let's do it. So what what you know? Give us an idea. What do you think is going on in Ukraine? Well, <laughs> it seems it felt up until actually that conversation that you and I had a massive distraction that might have been in some way related to some Belt and Road uh, concerns. Pipelines, rail, etc. I mean, Ukraine's a pretty central territory. Uh, it is possible to develop uh, overland routes of Eurasia without necessarily going through Ukraine, but it does seem to be a very convenient location. And there have been quite a few plans to use Ukraine. Um, and of course, there is uh, this insane, uh, you know, constant fear mongering of Putin. I don't know, person Putin personally. I don't know if he's good guy, bad guy. You know, fighting this agenda, promoting that agenda. I, I actually don't know. And I always believe my. I tell my audience, look. I have no control over the leaders of other countries. I can barely understand what's going on in my own country. So I'm not going to spend day and night trying to demonize or lionize uh, the leaders of other countries. But this Ukraine thing, and then uh, a, a story that came out recently about this FTX scandal uh, that had some connections with Ukraine. And uh, of course, the bio labs, uh, biological research labs funded by DTRA, uh, uh a bunch of them spawned yeah. up in Ukraine. Like, what? What is really going on it, here it with Ukraine? Like there's more. It's more than just a coincidence. Ukraine's a place next to Russia where there happens to be a war. Ukraine's a place where we built a bunch of bio labs in the middle of the, or right before the the biggest craziest pandemic. Ukraine happens to be a place where the the list the list is getting larger enough that we need to focus the map on Ukraine and go. What what the what the something. Matt, there is a, uh, a a YouTube account for the United States Embassy in Kiev. I stumbled onto it because I was doing some digging on everything I could find on uh, investments in biological research in Ukraine by the United States. I could not believe how many videos were on there. It's like, you know, I there's like U.S. leaders spending as more time in Ukraine than in the United States. Look, I, I want. You know, I want peace and joy with everybody. Okay, I don't, I don't understand though, why, why the focus on Ukraine above and beyond anything else? We don't have border with it. Uh, you know, they don't. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, so, can, can I read? You mentioned something. Okay. You mentioned something, and this is your idea, and I want you to take it. All right. If you look online. Uh, I don't really study the crypto stuff. I'm not a well-versed person on it. And I tend to let other people, subject matter experts, go to have a go at that, right? New York Times, 2021, an article saying that they see, and many world experts see, Ukraine as the future leader and hub of cryptocurrency. World experts. What is that? Agree. Really? What? Why? Got all these other places. I mean, Ukraine seems to have so much tension. Wouldn't you want a nice, quiet island somewhere? You know, wh wh why? It, that didn't make any sense to me. But then you take it from there. You had some ideas about why. Yeah. Um, that might be the case. And, and I, I should do, I should do 
a presentation just on gas at some point so that people understand. Uh, there is there is so much gas flared off in the United States alone that if it were used at source for electricity, it would power the entire U.S. electric grid. Right. That's right. what's going to happen with Bitcoin in the future. People go, oh, it's going to use so much energy. Blah, blah. It's energy that doesn't get anywhere. It's stranded energy. Right. There's so much line loss. It's not worth the millions of dollars. It takes a millions of million dollars to put up one mile of of, you know, of lines to get someplace. And there will be a little bit of infrastructure created because of it. There, that'll happen. Right. You, you, you add in one new incentive. Suddenly you have enough of a model to support it. But um, gas gas right and we have you know gas pipelines flowing through ukraine and syria right this is we have this crisscrossing energy stuff convergence you know why are the wars happening in these two places well that's why it's mm -hmm. gas right and there may be a few more reasons as far as ukraine goes we've heard it yep but um you know if if ukraine is is perfect for cryptocurrency in any way it's not because you know they have you know, pro they, maybe they have one percent of the cryptocurrency programmers we have over here in the U.S. Like, like let's let's not be silly about this. Satoshi Nakamoto isn't like sitting over in in, in Kiev, right? Uh, there's, there's I, I've read it's the second largest adopter of cryptocurrency in the world, next to the United States. Well, yeah, and and you know, uh, adoption happens when it's needed, right? When Venezuela was having so many problems, boom, they ran up the adoption charts, right? Suddenly, oh, they're okay. one of the highest in the world. Um, you know, India, uh, um, well, there are places in Africa that, um, you know, one after one is they've had like currency problems or they've had, you know, some sort of pressure, some need. I think Nigeria is one of the highest in the world. India became one of the highest in the world the moment it was illegal. <laughs> it was made illegal. It's like people were like, oh, better be able to. Well, let's let's do this. round this about. Okay. So, yeah. So, you, so this, cryptocurrency, um, People put various, uh, they weight uh, their confidence level, their confidence in cryptocurrencies in various ways. But let's compare it to the United States dollar. Uh, and what is one thing that uh, a serious world reserve currency needs so that people can feel they can sleep at night knowing they have the right currency? Okay, okay. There, there's one reserve currency. Right. And this happened. There's a, a reason why this happens. The economic forces dictate that within any connected network, you're only really going to have one reserve currency. And it's because of um, the same pressures that are behind something called Gresham's Law. And Lord Gresham was an advisor to Queen Elizabeth and, and Queen Elizabeth wanted to know, you know, like, where is the new money going from from our marketplace? She'd had she'd had the currency debased by having new coins made with a cheaper metal. You know, if you go from printing stuff in silver to printing it in pewter, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite that. I can't remember what the actual, you know, metal to metal exchange was. But yep. people are going to hoard the silver while spending the pewter. If they have a choice, they will always spend the pewter. So if you have two currencies that otherwise perform the same task, the one that you will hold on to is the one that you see as being more advantageous in the future. So you will and within that competition you know that's a binary competition that will only be won by one currency so there is one reserve currency and now people are going to argue with that sure there are quibbles you may have sort of a you know gold may be your physical reserve while as you know bitcoin might be your electronic reserve there may be an idea that you want to gamble on whether or not the graphs stay connected and that's a different story, but you can see why we would tend toward one currency in most societies. I but, might be um, conflated two things accidentally. I might be, I might have accidentally conflated 
uh, a reserve currency and uh, and 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 banking where banks invest and what banks need to feel confidence in a reserve. Well, um, you know, all, all what banks do is they buy bonds, right? I mean, that's uh, they buy debt. They buy the national debt from uh, the country that who, whose currency is the reserve currency. They need a military. Oh, oh, this is where you're going. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. The this is your idea, audience. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, Matt's yeah, yeah. idea. I'm not taking credit for it. Sorry. I, 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 I was going down a different direction. Okay. Uh, yeah. The military banking complex is such that so long as you have, you know, reserve currency uh, system, um, so long as that is centralized, until it's decentralized, it will always be connected to a military necessarily. Why? Because in order to force nations onto the same graph to use it, you need the military and the military needs what's called the seniorage tax, the seniorage tax, where uh, every time you create money out of thin air, um, you're basically taxing everybody else by devaluing their currency in order for you to have more new currency yeah, out of thin air. So um, they go hand in hand. You can't really divorce the two. So what is the world's largest military? That's where I question <laughs> Right, the, uh, the and, US dollar. It, uh, it's, and, it's, it's almost by definition, these things are hand in hand. You know, and what seems to be taking actions to uh, maybe either disparage, weaken, and maybe even take control of this big $1 trillion a year pile of money, 20 something aircraft carriers, I don't even know how many. You know, it's basically the military. What seems to be trying to get control of this? What levers are being used? Right. And um, it, it's very possible that FTX was an attempt to create a new Fed treasury system. Mm -hmm. Right. The design, the relationship between the two entities looks a lot like the relationship between the treasury and the Fed, where you can jettison, yep. you know, if you want, you can jettison losses from one to the other. If you need one to remain sort of brick stable. Right. Um, but 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 you have one that can create its own token, you know, print its own, you know, capital. So it, it's very possible that they were given a mission to just keep acquiring and absorbing one entity after another in the entire crypto sphere, and be creating this entity, which would then be located in the Ukraine. One because you would have the cheap energy to run it but two you're you're then you're separating this from the u.s government you're having the opportunity to possibly have the largest stake in a new pie in a new era as the dollar comes to collapse yep now now the question is would those people who would be hatching such a plan be involved in sabotaging the dod energy right uh independence from the united states well, uh, in the middle, uh, in the in the middle of all the land routes in Asia, but don't worry about those seas because you're going to have control of the United States Navy. Uh, this is and this is a powerhouse concept. I think this is what they talk about as Davos, as the dream world government state. That is at that's that's everything. That's the whole, that's all the aces in the deck. Can right you can you go independent with the currency system, but take control of the U.S. Navy? And yeah. would this involve some sort of complex scheme of, you know, injuring a lot of people through vaccines, uh, possibly intentionally, uh, in a very you know um, shadowy sort of way? Um, yeah, and th this is this is part of the reason why I, I'm insistent that we do not 
just like step over what I discovered with the DMED. And there are people who, who haven't gotten it yet. There are people who don't get it or think, you know, just let them do their shock numbers or blah, blah, blah. We just need to stop this. Oh, come on, guys. You know, we, we like this is big. We need to get to the bottom of this. If you, if you want to understand what's happening or if, if you don't want the possibility that some international business consortium can take this level of control of the world, then we need to do our part collectively in understanding it. And I'm going to read something that um, please a friend wrote um, several months ago that I think uh, it, it, it's, it's really revealing about the whole Ukraine situation. Um, it's my friend Brian. He said, I had a World War E wake-up moment in March, a couple of weeks into the supposed war between Ukraine and Russia. I was in D.C. for meetings and stopped at Starbucks in Georgetown. There was a police van out front with some bored-looking cops peering into their phones who had certainly been there a while. I didn't see anything in justified presence of cops. Across the street was a smattering of wilted flowers on a doorstep. Condolences for someone who had died a week earlier, perhaps. Something said to go have a look. At the side of the steps was a faded plaque that said, Embassy of Ukraine. I pulled back and looked at the building. No lights, no activity, zero, WTF question mark. This place should be a beehive during a war. I walked around the side of the building to the service entrance, ghost town. After a couple of minutes, a UPS driver came by to deliver a small package. Then nothing. The disconnect between the media frenzy and what you would think would be the locus of Ukrainian state activity in the U.S. was complete. What kind of war is this? So we had a little back and forth and he says, uh, you know, blue and yellow signaling was in full bloom everywhere except the embassy. It was so bizarre that I checked Google and Apple Maps confirmed the listing of the embassy for Ukraine. I went for a walk and went past the defense attache of Qatar, or Qatar a little later. Uh, that place was lit up and felt like it was on wartime footing. So the Ukrainian embassy is like a ghost town. Qatar, you know, this, this, tiny little island nation in, in the Arabian Gulf. Uh, everything's lit up, but you know, like, like there's, there's lots of active business as usual, more than, more than business as usual. Hmm. So is, is the Ukrainian embassy really just sort of absorbed into the U S government for some reason? Dear audience, look, I mean, we're, 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 I'm drinking from the fire hose myself here. All right. I, I've been just sort of viewing the Ukraine thing as just a thing over there. What has the one area where I've, I kept coming back to Ukraine was the, just the, the strange uh, investments that the U S has made in bioweapons lab, but that appeared to be maybe creating some division between Ukraine and Russia, which would persist. There's accusations, which may be true. I don't know one way or the other about, uh, uh, weapons which have been uh, reached a level uh, where they can actually have greater impact on some people than others based upon DNA factors, ancestry, etc. Possible. Don't know that or not. There was another event that uh, this is this is one of the most bizarre things that you'll, you'll probably hear, right? And Sometimes I get mad that God is bringing me down this path. Like, come on, you know, I got enough, I got enough things to deal with. I'm not exactly the brightest bulb on the tree. I know how to find stuff and connect dots, but you know, shouldn't someone else have figured this one out? 2005, uh, Obama was a junior senator. I think he was one of the youngest senators probably in the Senate at that time. His very first overseas trip 
was with uh, Richard Luger um, to, I think it was a couple places in Africa, but mostly it was Eastern Europe and Ukraine, where they explored, and this was in the uh, late summer, early fall of 2005, some of the areas which might have been involved in chemical and biological warfare research in Ukraine. If you go through the newspapers, you'll find almost no mention of anyone talking about concerns of biological weapons or uh, scientists who have worked with biological weapons in Ukraine before 2004, 2005. Just like you will not find the word bioterrorism anywhere before 1997. It just pops. It went from not existing to existing a few years before the word was going to be mentioned on every front page of the U.S. newspaper. Now, if you, Ukraine was not known, at least publicly, uh, no one's ever disclosed it, at having been part of the Soviet Union's biological weapons research program. There were other territories uh, in it was Kazakhstan, it was Uzbekistan, that had the research labs for Russia, for, for the Soviet Union, excuse me. Now, in 2004, 2005, the United States military in Iraq was still looking for facilities which could have been used for the uh, what was said to be biological weapons development or the development of and the storage of weapons-grade anthrax. But they never found them. Now, I found a newspaper article. It was from late 2004, early 2005, okay, that said uh, Ukraine's, uh, excuse me, Iraq's or Saddam Hussein's alleged Anthrax production labs had disappeared and they were stolen by looters, possibly using cranes. <laughs> now, I, I don't know. Last time a looter shows up with a, with a crane. Okay. All right. I'm playing along. They never found them. And then three months later, we're worried about biological weapons in Ukraine. Okay. <laughs> Now here's now here's the problem. Now, what happened at the same time? The Ukrainian army withdrew from Iraq. Oh, and now and now here's the, here's the cherry on top. There's only one plane on Earth that can carry a mobile BSL three BSL four lab, and that was Ukraine's AN two twenty five. What? So it's like, 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 come on. Like, I just want someone else to be talking about this. Please, okay, okay. don't put this one on me. If, I don't if, want if this. That's true. If that's true, that Ukraine has the only aircraft that can... Um, they did. That, that can uh, be a portable... You know, that can move a, a biolab like that. Um, like, the moment I hear that, I go, that's intentional. It, it could right? be. The, it the, could the, be. But no one's ever mentioned it before. No, right. you will not find at that sentence set. It's an observation that these labs, which you can find pictures of, manufactured by a Department of Homeland Security from a company called, uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, Zine, I can't think of the name of the company right now. Uh, it's a Department of Homeland Security uh, associate. Um, and if you just look at the size, you look at the weight, and you look at the available airplanes on Earth, it is what it is, you know? The AN-225 was used to move cargo of that size, and the Ukrainian army, had a presence, and then they withdrew from Iraq around that time. And then, like, a few weeks later, uh, Luger and Obama are in Ukraine. Oh, you know, poor Obama has no idea what's going on. You know, he's not exactly a conspirator 
and any stretch of the imagination at this time. He's like, I can't believe I get to go to Europe. You know, you see this, this look on this young guy's face. Uh, and, and then the U.S. enters a treaty. They sign a freaking weapons treaty with Ukraine, which effectively has constitutional uh, uh, authority between the United States and Ukraine okay, regarding I'm, bioweapons. I, I've just changed my opinion on what happened in Iraq and, and, and Afghanistan. The wars in the Middle East. I've just my opinion has just been changed. Well, I think I think this double is check what I said. All right, you always be skeptical of everyone, right? Um, but I have all the the, the the data. I'm just I'm not actually aside from saying insinuating that those labs could have been on that plane and they fit. Everything I just said is absolutely factual and in documents, articles, whatever you want to call it, which I've captured in archive. How has your view of Iraq changed because of some of these, uh, what I've discussed? Okay. I have always, I've always said, um, you know, you have to go beneath the surface multiple layers to understand Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, no. because there's absolutely no way that we went for the oil, right? Because we spent six and a half trillion, maybe seven trillion, right? We, we spent that much? Yeah. Yes. Holy cow. Holy I know, cow. right? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we, we, we didn't go for the oil. We didn't take the oil. We didn't go for the rare earth metals. That was level two on that PSYOP, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's why we've gone. No, that's that's to keep you fighting on the partisan level. No, we didn't go for that reason either. Was it for the dark markets, the poppies, the human trafficking, right? We hear the stories of the uh, bocce boys in Afghanistan, which titillates the... Um, the, the focus on the human trafficking. Did 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 we spend six and a half trillion dollars for those things? No, that's a lot of poppies, but no, no. Um, the only prize big enough is the financial lever that powers the military banking complex. And I always viewed going to Iraq and Iran, uh, going to Iraq and Afghanistan as, um, look, you have to lay the hammer down one time for 20 years or something like that, right? Something like that. That's one, it's a generation approximately. But it actually makes more sense if what you have is a future plan. Mm -hmm. If you have looked at the map, right? If you've looked at the map and you see both the Belt and Road Initiative, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, look look at this Belt and Road Initiative. Look, that's, that's a whole lot of stuff that's going on in places like named Ukraine and Syria, right? I mean, that's, there's, there's a whole – look at the gas pipelines. And, and I'm, I'm, by the way, I think infrastructure is freaking sexy. I love watching uh, infrastructure videos. You know, I'm totally into it. I just think just from a, a – just from my manhood perspective, I think that this whole project is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's actually, that's considered a fair kink in academia. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, look, at, look at the pipelines here. I mean, the, okay. that's just, you know, the, there aren't many international pipelines in the world, really. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the gas pipelines, whatnot. But, um, you know, how much of that just goes through this narrow area right here? And so if what you want to do is be able to use China, like I do think that the West has puppeted China in many ways, just like I talked about the, the siphoning of the technology background through the corporations, but it did, it did capitalize China with that intellectual property at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. At least right. some of it, some of it they probably couldn't use, 
Some of it they figured out ways to do so. Some of it they worked with Western corporations till they knew, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I do like I, I've gone through several iterations trying to figure out what is the real model here. I think this is the real model: is we could use China, not worry about its reinflation, but take control of this area between Europe and Asia that the goods and services would have to flow to. By the way, the only reason China is building all this stuff is because they don't have the navy. Right. They're trying to build a navy, but it's mm, yeah, it's it's, it's, num- it's the world's number two, but it's it's much smaller still than the US Navy, yeah, I believe. It, yeah, it, it uh, like the the um it's like fifty to one. Uh you know, when you think of like ocean power, wow. it's still US fifty to one over anyone else in the world. They have like they had uh, I can't remember if this was a decade ago, maybe they have three aircraft carriers now, but my understanding was like a decade ago they had two and one of them had to be fixed every time it went to port, every single time. Right. This building of islands in the South China Sea, that's not a way to get out. They're bottled up. They don't have the good ports. They don't have good they, their naval technology lags behind, you know, 75 years behind the West. More mm-hmm. than wow. so and and the moment if they were to start building those naval ships, it would be viewed as an immediate act of aggression. They have to kind of slip it in very slowly. No, that's why they went Belt and Road Initiative. But the West can still take control of all that. Maybe that was the whole reason for the wars in the Middle East, the gradual ramping up and development of all the biolabs in Ukraine. And we and we see the gas pipelines flowing through. If you control Ukraine, you control Syria, you control enough of the energy that it, you have that, you have the oceans, that's control of, of the world. That's, but yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be a very authoritarian control if it plays out that way with one actor. So I think we need to be paying a lot of attention of what goes on with the DOD, because I do think this multiple, you know, actors, multiple models of, of what's going on is the way to think about it. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe um, I, I'm going to give you a few minutes to, to kind of like bring us to a close. I, I think, I think you should come back again. I would. Uh, I, I'm going to twist your arm. Uh, you're teaching me. To, I'm, I learn. I'm learning so much stuff just now and from our other talks. So please. Yeah, and I've got I've got notes of what you've said that I, I need to go do some reading too. But um, I think this is very productive. Um, is Japan building its navy? Uh, that, you know, we 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 kneecapped them after World War II from the start, and we um, economically in the '90s, actually through the '80s, uh, we we intentionally forced their central bank to lower and lower and lower interest rates till there was nowhere to go. They hit, they literally hit zero. Actually, I was at the trading, I was a Japanese bond trader. I was at the trading desk when negative interest rates traded in 1998. And and when that happens, your economy goes sideways for 25 years. By the way, 13 recessions later, it's 2023. So no, Japan is not, you know, they're, they're a part of the empire. It's the global empire and that's where we are. I would, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, Japan is very friendly, by the way, with with India. I just realized that recently that they have a, I don't know, they love each other, but they are they 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 see a lot of shared goals. Uh, so I find that uh, uh, curious. That, that wouldn't surprise me. I think that like the moment the uh, the global, you know, whatever the West is that seems to be coming the global state, you know, once that relaxes those are two nations that will see greater prosperity you know japan probably uh you know by a solid bit india will probably really soar compared to where it is now i mean they still have 
hundreds of millions of people in poverty, but they've also, you know, they've raised up these uh, institutes of technology. Um, there are, there's a lot of good going on there in India. And if they can, um, you know, th there will be an age where they have better control of their technology and it's all moving in good directions. I see, I see a more prosperous India in the future. Who found those, uh, where was the institute that found those HIV inserts? Uh, tell me. India. Was it? Okay. I mean, that doesn't shock me. That doesn't yeah, shock this me. This was my last video and it was, uh, I don't know if it's related or not, but it's a 10 minute drive from India's biggest military institute. Yeah. You know, that, the, the hedge fund that Bezos and I worked for that was, you know, we weren't the overlapping, but um, uh, employed hundreds of genetic computing technology experts in Hyderabad. Mm. And I don't, I, I, per, I don't think that technology ever went anywhere. I, I think it was like an idea that, Hey, maybe we can solve some problems this way, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of smart people in India. Um, when they have better resource control, they'll see the they'll see um, the money flow in. They'll, oh, they'll have... a, a final thought. Um, I did a ten minute video. I'd encourage you to watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was from a president, vice president, excuse me, Senator Biden, on September tenth, two thousand one, uh, where he uh, talks about the uh, starting to develop a new homeland security agency and he mentions the possibility of bioterrorism and planes filled with anthrax uh possibly flying in the buildings in major metropolitan centers uh, 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 uh. that was that was the and the day after the day after september 11th on a i think it was an abc news interview he actually like they're still pulling bodies out of the out of the towers and he actually mentioned anthrax attack like this i mean biden's used we know that he's a compromised asset he's had some various family tragedies etc he's not like the kingpin uh that some people think he is but nonetheless you could that's it's evidence not proof but evidence that clearly there was plans something else may be happening in the later fall of 2001 and i think it was going to be likely an anthrax or smallpox type attack probably new york city maybe close to thanksgiving and the whole that whole military control would have been put under FEMA. Um, the people who are in the place they're in now, it's really, really spooky. I mean, you know, there are people who believe that there were multiple elections, you know, meaning the primaries um, that, that were needed to push, you know, Biden up the ladder. Uh, he, he just seems so unexciting. Um, it, it, the, the whole thing seems like shenanigans. Um, but I would also love you to come on my program at some time and please, uh, you know, with your experience with uh, working Wall Street, but cryptocurrency in particular, Ukraine's role, what you know and what you may be learn digging into in the next few days or yeah, weeks. I may, I may do you are into cool. it. No. I, no I, I, I think the answer is just that it has nothing to do with geography, but um, I'll, I'll see if I can come up with better specifics to say that it has nothing to do with geography. Okay. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, the, you know, Avril Haines, you know, I, I feel like it's good to point this out every time there's an opportunity. She's okay. the DNI, she's DNI, Office of the DNI. She's the head of all U.S. intelligence, right? That office was created in the wake of 9-11. I, I believe it was established in 2004, hmm. 2000, you know, some, somewhere around there. Um, that, that one office was then given authority, maybe in 2008, over all of U.S. intelligence. 
right? It was all brought under one person in a cabinet level position, hmm. right? That's the very end of, of W era going, you know, handed to Obama. You have this one person in your cabinet who gets to tell every single military and civilian intelligence agency, these are your priorities. And then you have the Obama era. Um, but the, the current DNI is a woman named Avril Haines. Mm -hmm. And this is why people should, should go, what? Like maybe, maybe, maybe do a double take. Like who's this person? Her father is a Rockefeller university biologist. Oh no. Who's, 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 career was studying cellular death oh no i know that's the phrase you didn't want to hear <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good one man thank you for that you just you just occupied the rest of my day wow rockefeller well oh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully wow. we've productively occupied uh, a few people's uh, part of a few people's days here thanks so much there have been a lot of people uh out here watching and i haven't given you know this has been um a lot of thinking. So I haven't been given the shout outs, but you know, thanks everybody for coming. A lot of people said a lot of, uh, you know, nice things about you, Mark, uh, oh, uh, you. which I, uh, I mostly agree with. <laughs> we'll have to work on the rest or we'll prove the rest or we'll prove them wrong. One or the other. <laughs> you know, so, uh, somebody said, uh, uh, we, we work well together. We should have our own show. So it may, maybe I'll have to invite you back monthly for a little bit. Uh, uh, we'll take there's it slow. definitely a lot of stuff that, that we can talk about. Um, like a first date. We'll take it so slow. much good research. <laughs> I'm still seeing other people. <laughs> You've done so much good research. And it, I, I feel like uh, it's connecting to a lot of a lot of things that I've been, you know, kind of taking notes on myself. So, cool. yeah, um, we'll, we'll do that again. And uh, thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Hopefully it was enjoyable. We'll see you next time. Uh, and I'll, I'll find some music to play you. That's how much I appreciate you.